Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And before we get to our guest, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, if you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Theology Gals, you can do that on Patreon, a few dollars a month, or a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find all of that on our website at theologygals.com. This week, we're really excited to have Lori Ferguson Wilbert with us about her book, Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. Um, thanks, Lori, for joining us. For starters, I'd love to hear why you wrote this book. Um, I think I a couple things kind of came together at the same time for me. I think I, I got married in, in 2015. And that was a new experience for me, getting married and, and having a husband and and all of that. But I also, I think I went through a period of time around that same time where I just realized, man, I've just grown up with a lot of confusing narratives around touch that are contributing to some of my confusion in marriage. And, um, and that kind of led me into a deep dive in scripture because I think so many of the tropes kind of surrounding touch or kind of these arbitrary rules and laws that we put into place around touch are born more out of fear than they are out of faith. So I just began to read in scripture and just seeing that uh, Christ, you know, came with the body and interacted with other bodies. And that was so interesting to me, the way that he was uh, doing that in scripture, that we, that we, we saw that playing out in scripture. And then I think secondarily, you know, in the past couple of years, we've been walking through this church to me to um, situation that has just, well, I mean, that's been going on for a long time, but we're suddenly, you know, being made aware of it in, in greater numbers. And I think what I'm seeing a lot of is like, how do we deal with this after effect of of the misuse of touch uh but i'm not seeing a lot of attention toward what is appropriate touch and what is good healthy ministering faithful engaging pastoral i mean whatever adjective you want to use what does that look like for the christian and so i was just curious and i wanted to explore those those things in light of scripture and uh, and that led to to handle with care. Thank you for that. I I really enjoyed your book. It was Thank you. Uh, a, a very uh, helpful read, very challenging read in, in the sense of thinking through um, what you were saying and how to apply it in my own life. It was it was good. Um, I wanted to ask you about some of like why why is touch so important to us, right? I was thinking about, you know, the examples of things that I've read, um, like with babies, right? If a baby mm-hmm. isn't, it can be given all of its other physical needs cared for, but not given enough touch that the baby won't thrive, right? Yeah. And it's not just true for, for babies. So why is touch so important to us? Well, I think it's, it's helpful for me. I mean, we can get into the mechanics of it, the science mm-hmm. of it. Um, and there is science. I mean, there's all sorts of really helpful physiological things that happen when we touch someone else or are touched by someone else. Good endorphins, good oxytocin, just like all those things. So that's, that's good. That's the way that God designed our bodies. But I think what's most helpful for me is to back way up to creation and see that God's first interaction with man is to form and to touch. And that tells me that God cares 
immensely about what he does with his hands um, and how he interacts with the bodies of men and women. And I think that's really important. And so if we see God doing that, God interacting with his creation in that way, I think that has huge implications for what it means to be an embodied Christian in the world today uh, in ways that I, I think that we as Christians give a lot of emphasis to, you know, the heart and the mind um, to, you know, ministering to the heart, to issues of the heart, but then also to educating the mind, filling the mind with knowledge. And I don't think we give a lot of care and attention toward um, how do we not just care for our own bodies, but how do we care for the bodies of others? We, you know, we sort of limit it to just thinking about the food we eat or the exercises we do. But um, I think it's so much more complex than that. So, but touch is important because God does it with his creation. It's also important because uh, it is healthy for us to be touched and to be, you know, like you mentioned, we um, babies don't thrive if they're not being touched from a very young age, but neither do grownups. Um, I hear a lot of people say, well, that's not my love language. Um, and I think, and I wonder what God wants to heal in you. Um, because I think if we were to say something like, uh, well, serving people isn't my love language and therefore I never want to serve people, we would pay attention to that. We would say, man, what's going on in your heart that you don't want to serve people and that you don't want to be served by people? There's something God wants to heal there. And I think with touch, it's the same thing. If we're kind of off limits, um, there's something God wants to do there. And I think that's a really generous uh action, um, a way of sort of revealing what God wants to heal in our lives when we struggle with touch. So, you know, when I was reading your book, I thought about an interview that I saw recently with someone and it, I don't even remember what it was about, but this gentleman was talking about a time, I think his girlfriend had left him or something. It was in a Christian conversation and he had had a long period of not really having any touch and remembered going to the grocery store and someone brushed up against mm-hmm. them and just talked about how much that touch meant to him. Yeah. And you really talk a lot about good touches and bad touches and, and these sorts of things. So why why don't we touch? I think the better question is why do we touch? Because I think the reasons for not touching are so complicated, complex. They are... Um, every single one of the things I try to hammer home in this book is that every single one of us have a story. Um, and that story is complex. It's different than anyone else's story. And we carry it with us. Everywhere we go, we carry that story with us. And it's informing how we touch or how we withhold touch or how we care, really. How do we handle people? Um, so um, my aim isn't to make everyone a hugger. My aim is to help people to care for the person in front of them. Um, but I, I think, you know, we've got, we have, both abuse, like history of abuse in some ways, but we also have just fear of being accused of abuse. I think we have fear of intimacy and I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about any kind of intimacy. Just are afraid. It's very vulnerable to be touched. Um, I think, I think for some people to be felt is, is a really difficult thing Um, to be exposed for what we actually are. We, you know, we think about Adam and Eve in the be- very beginning, right after they sinned, what did they do? They they were naked and ashamed and they hid and covered themselves with insufficient 
uh, garments. And I think that says something about how ashamed we are of our bodies. And I'm not talking about, um, yeah, I just, I think that to be felt by someone help makes us feel revealed. And that's a really vulnerable thing. That's a really hard thing for, for so many of us. Um, maybe we are, maybe we have a, a disability or maybe we have some kind of illness that makes being touched really uncomfortable or a history of abuse or uh, we're overweight or we're underweight or, you know, any of, any of those things. Maybe we're not as, you know, muscular as we want to be or we're soft in various places that we don't want to be soft. And, and those things, I think, are revealed when we are touched by someone. And that's, that makes us feel really vulnerable. And, and it's a real risk um, to be engaged with in that way. You know, you talk about, um, Colleen mentioned purity culture, and um, you mentioned it in the book as well, and concerns over appearances. Um, I was in college in the mid-90s, around the time that the I Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. Um, and it, it didn't affect me personally. I was dating so seldom it wasn't an issue for me. Um, it had a bigger impact on my husband um, before we met. But how have both purity culture and concerns over appearances influenced how we interact within our church family? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, Amy Bird has written this brilliant book, uh, why can't we be friends? And her subtitle, I talk about it all the time, avoidance is not purity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we we believe that by avoiding something, we're pure. And um, I, I think scripture teaches a different way. Scripture teaches that purity is a gift from God and, and it's not something we can conjure up either by, by engaging in something or by withholding from something. Um, those were more Old Testament structures. Um, but by the grace of God, we are made pure by by Christ and Christ's sacrifice. And so we have to walk in purity, but we have to get straight about what purity is. And I think it's impure. And this might sound radical in some ways. I think it's impure to um, to look at other humans, men and women, as merely objects to be avoided. I think that's not purity. Um and so much of purity culture was, you know, hands off and and holding people at arm's length and, you know, quote, avoiding the appearance of evil. Um, and I think scripture scripture talks about men and women primarily as image bearers. And secondarily, in the New Testament, we are to look at one another as brothers and sisters. And if we merely think of people as sexual beings, as primarily men or primarily women for sexual use, uh, we are, we are desecrating, uh, the image of God, the, the, the image bearing nature of humans. And so in our, in our family, we have a saying that's a, that's a, you know, it's a sort of a family, I don't know, mantra or whatever. It's, it's fidelity to the word of God and not to an outcome. And I think so much of purity culture and even so many of the sort of arbitrary rules that we have around relationships between same genders and uh, opposite genders today are based on, you know, they're, they're there for an outcome, a particular outcome. I'm going to act this way in order to get this outcome. And I think we have to, again, we have to back up and we say, what does the word of God say? And I want to act according to that. 
regardless of the outcome. I cannot control the outcome. So I can't control, uh, you know, whether someone thinks impure thoughts about me. I can't control whether I'm like, I just can't control those things. And so I want to treat my brothers like brothers, like the family of God. And I want to draw them close in the way that Jesus drew men and women close to him. And um, I want to keep them in my mind as image bearers and brothers and not, you know, potential affairs waiting to happen. Um, Or, you know, I think, um, yeah, there's so much of purity culture. Rachel Welcher uh, is releasing a book called uh, Talking Back to Purity Culture this year from IVP. And I think she does just a fabulous job of just walking through, you know, the ways that purity culture was really damaging the ways that it was helpful and she she kind of offers a better way of thinking so i don't want to i don't want to steal her thunder that's a great book um it comes out this fall you know i have a little bit of a follow-up on purity culture just because it's been such a huge discussion in our group and i i got married around when it was becoming popular so mm-hmm. i really wasn't affected by it but we have a lot of women in their 20s in our group that that were affected by it. And one of the things that they talk about is because of what they were taught, you know, this men, men are uncontrollable and you need to protect your brothers, these sorts of things. And you need to remain pure. A lot of them that then got married, some of them went through courtship and whatnot. They got married and they had a very difficult time with intimacy because, um, and, and even with touch really, And uh, one of the things I've heard from several girls is that it was very difficult for them to be intimate with their husbands because they felt like then they were no longer pure. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm curious if because I want to I want to offer a little hope on this to some of those girls, and I've seen I've seen this, but do you think it would be helpful, or are there ways in which which girls that are struggling with this um, can kind of uh, rewire their thinking about these things and improve, improve beyond what they're struggling with because of what they were taught growing up. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the chapter on marriage, I talk about, you know, I give the example of a couple of different marriages that might, you know, sort of generalize pictures of marriages. I think one of the things that purity culture did was it taught women in particular to become no people. Um, and so we are just saying, no, 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 no. And then we're coming to marriage and we think, oh, now I'm supposed to be a yes person. I'm supposed to say yes, 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 yes. And the the problem with both of those things is that it does not give a woman sort of, um, she's, she's sort of submitting to the rule of no or the rule of yes. And she's not submitting to the greater law, which is God's grace and God's goodness and faithfulness and kindness and all those things. Um, and, and there's space, there's room within singleness, um, to say yes to God. Uh, and there's room within marriage to say no to, uh, at times to say no to your husband, um, in for particular, you know, ways and seasons and that kind of thing. Um, and I think scripture makes allowance for that. Um, I also think though, that, uh, women, I think men and women have been very damaged by this, uh, 
this narrative that men are primarily, you know, sexual beasts who just want to have sex all the time. And women are, you know, the, the holders of the purity, you know, you know, they're the, the pure ones. And, and again, they're, they're only seem pure because they were taught to avoid, uh, not because they're necessarily walking in purity from the Lord. Um, and I think a way forward in those moments for, I, I, I want to be careful to not be prescriptive, but I think a way forward is to begin to consider um, my job is not to be the best wife I can be. My job is to be the best, like to, to image God well and to be a faithful sister to my brother, who's also my husband, but primarily my brother in Christ. And when I begin to take, you know, when I begin to back up a little bit from the mere act of sex, which is a gift and it's be- it can be really beautiful, can also be really difficult. Um, but when I back up from that a little bit and I begin to view myself as an image bearer and a sister in Christ and my husband as an image bearer and, and my brother in Christ, I think that can change. I think it's still complex. I think it still probably might need some therapy to work through it. But I think that there, I think there's more hope when we go that direction instead of sort of gritting our teeth and trying to be a good wife, whatever that means. We're just sort of submitting to a different law of legalism at that point, I think. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I think when we look at scripture passages on marriage, I think we, we too often, so for, as an example, um, I think of the passage in Ephesians when Paul's speaking to men and women, and he says to men, nourish and care for your wife's body as you do your own. And I think we've so heavily leaned on nourishing care for your wife's body that we've neglected as you do your own. And I think that so, I think so many things can be healed in these marriages when we begin to say, Hey, you actually, um, it is, it is a gift from God. And in some ways a mandate from God to care for your own body. And if you recoil from your husband's touch, or you are afraid of all of these things, or you, um, you feel nasty when you're having sex or any of those things, there's something God wants to heal in your body. And I think that's so like, he wants you to care and nourish your own body uh, before you can really nourish and care for his body. And that's, that's hard. Cause we, you know, in marriage, we just think it, it's, I shouldn't say we think in purity culture, there's this narrative that like, it's just about sex. So when you get to marriage and you find out that it is much more complex than sex, um, much more nuanced and difficult. And so much of what happens outside of the bedroom plays into what happens inside the bedroom. Um, yeah, it's just important for us to, to know that God cares about our own bodies. It's not just about us caring for the bodies of others. And that's why, you know, the book is called handle with care, not just for, other people's bodies, but for our own bodies as well. I think that was maybe a little bit of a long answer, but hopefully no. that hit no, on No, it was a good answer. Asking. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that you address in the book, I think it goes along with what you've just been talking about, but how do we, how should we understand the difference between a healthy versus a sinful touch? Yeah. And I'm, I, I, 
I talk about this pretty, like, it's probably the the most boring part of the book, but I, I felt like it was necessary to include because I think that we do have sort of broken definitions of these things. But I think healthy touch is, is touch that is healthy on both the giver and the receiver. Unhealthy touch is, is t- any touch that one or the other party um, is being sinful in their touching um, or abusive or taking sinfully without permission. I mean, any, I'm just going to say sinful touch. Um, And I think that we would be surprised at how often the latter happens. I think the former happens so infrequently um, and the latter is happening so much more. And it's even happening in spaces where we think, well, we're married, so it has to be, good touch. Um, it might not necessarily be good touch. If, if, if a woman says, no, I'm not feeling like it tonight. And he's like, well, I am. And she feels like, okay, well, I have to, that's not healthy touch. Um, that's not going to lead to her flourishing. And so, and it's not just about sexual touch either. I think that that happens in platonic touch as well. Like I want to be careful when I'm praying for someone, I don't just put my hand on their shoulder or hug them at the end. I want to say, Hey, can I hug you? Or, Hey, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Um, Cause I, I think the asking for it and the giving permission is important in both of those, those situations. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking as I read through your book, something I hadn't really thought about a lot, not in great detail, but I grew up in a very affectionate touchy family mm-hmm. My husband did not. And so, so, you know, these are different things. Now I've been married almost 25 years. And it's it's almost funny because he's almost more affectionate now than I am. And I'm pretty affectionate. But I think some of these things, I think you kind of learn, well, especially in marriage, maybe, Mm -hmm. learn what is healthy and maybe not. Or something that the other person isn't comfortable with, maybe is the way to say that. Yeah, I think it, it is learning. I mean, my husband is very, he's not, he doesn't have, a, he did not grow up in a physically uh, demonstrative family. Um, he's not super high on the both giving or receiving of touch. So it is a journey. We just kind of have to learn how do we serve one another. And sometimes it's serving for me to say, hey, he does not want to get a back rub right now. And he does not want to give a back rub right now. Like, that's okay. Um, but it is it is a learning process. I don't think there's a switch that gets flipped quickly. Yeah, and it, I know that even for me, when I first got married, um, for me, since my family shows a lot of love with touch, mm-hmm. you know, even my dad would just always give me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek, you know, just, mm-hmm. and I was comfortable with it. That's what I grew up with. And, and so... In early marriage, I think some women that are affectionate and their husbands aren't can go through this where they almost feel not loved or, you know, I mean, you talk about some of that in the book. And I did want to say, I really appreciate um, your transparency in the book because you're very transparent. You talked about, you know, each of us has a story in the beginning of this interview and you're very transparent about some of yours and I appreciated that. So you. you mentioned the book that people have sometimes thought that physical is bad, spiritual is good. And there's so many examples of this I was thinking of as I was reading the book. How do those ideas still influence our belief about caring for the physical needs of others, especially in the church, I think? 
I, I think I started paying attention to it while I was writing it. And then afterwards, like the instances in which we hear about the body um, of Christ, I think are limited to, you know, when we serve communion, um, maybe around Easter, we think about it, but we're not talking about the body of Christ very often. We're not talking about these passages where it says, you know, nourish and care for your wife's body as you do your own. We're not talking about, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, we just don't talk about them very much. There's not, we don't have strong theology about it. I think we poo poo ideas like self care. Um, and it really can contribute to, um, we are complex just as I, when I think about the, the Trinity, it's very complex, a little bit hard to understand and yet so important, right? It's so important for us to, as much as we can just understand, enter into that complexity and, and ask for faith where we lack it and, and, and equally sort of um, see all parts of the Godhead as, as good and right and valuable and necessary to understanding the gospel. I think our bodies are similarly. If we think that we are primarily hearts or minds or even souls, um, we're, we're running into Gnosticism at that point, um, forms of it. And the body is good. God gave it. He could have just made us, you know, bodiless spirits, you know, wandering, like ghosting around the, the earth. And he didn't do that. He gave us body. He created matter. He created the earth. He created uh, solid things, um, ground and trees and all of those, you know, very tangible, touchable things. Um, and I think those things are important. And if we neglect them in the church, and I think we do neglect to, to have theology around them. Um, I think some people are, I see sort of an uptick in these in these things in recent thought and writing, um, but I think we're really malnourished. And I think a picture that's helpful for me to keep in mind is, you know, if you go to the gym and you only ever work out the left side of your body, uh, you're going to have bulging muscles on one side and you're going to look emaciated and thin on the other. And you, no one would call that person like a, a strong person as a whole um, they're obviously lacking in something. And I think we, we're lacking just healthy theology and practice around these things in the church right now. When you talked about, you know, it's clear from the book, you have um, a heart for singles in the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that this doesn't apply only to singles, but, you know, certainly the issues of touch um, are particularly important for the singles in our church. Um, I was thinking back to, you know, I married relatively young, but I remember, you know, being a teenager, being in college, being post-college and unmarried. And um, I come from a very physically affectionate family. And I, I used to say that I was hug deficient, right? Like I, mm. I missed, and I had yeah. pretty demonstrative friends, but you still just missed the the regular touch of just being hugged, you know, just holding someone's hand and saying, sitting with somebody. And um, so I wondered what, what do you think that we can do uh, in the church to help reach out, to incorporate singles? Um, I liked the quote that you had, that they are embodied souls who need other embodied souls with whom to mingle. Right? Yeah. What, how can we do that in a way that's not just here, you know, work in the nursery or watch our kids or, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of times we, t- we tend, uh, and I'm saying we as someone who got married at 34 
has been married now for five years. Um, so we tend to think of singles as the one who need, the ones who need to come to us. Um, well, if you need a hug, come to me and ask me, I'll give you a hug. Um, and I think when we, what we see in scripture is that Christ is always going to the marginalized. And I think singles in a lot of ways are marginalized in the church today. And I say that as someone who was single until she was 34 and experienced that marginalization. Um, and the onus is on those who are not marginalized to go to the marginalized. And so ways that married people can do that. I mean, I ask often every time, I mean, right now we're, you know, we're in the middle of, of shelter in place and keeping six foot distance. So this is complicated. Um, but in normal times, I, every time I see my single friends and I'm both male and female, I hug them and I hug them and I'm talking close friends. I hug them indiscriminately. I hug them well and they hug me back because they need it. They, they are hungry for that the physical affection, they know when they come to the Wilbert home that they're going to be hugged by Lori and Nate. Um, and oftentimes, uh, you know, I've, I've so loved watching my husband sort of um, think through these things and, and I think heal. And um, he is a demonstrative person now with his uh, physical affection with our friends. Um, so my, you know, my single girlfriends will walk in the door and he will hug them right away. Um, just so that they know, they know that they're going to get that when they come to our home. That's how we practice it. I think it can look different for other families. Um, I think, I think other ways are, um, inviting unmarried people to sit near us, sit with us at church. I think that's a really big one. I see so many, you know, singles who sit by themselves and feel so alone and, um, I know when I, um, there have been times where, you know, a single friend will sit with me and my husband at church and my husband's arm will be around me and my arm will be around my friend. Um, because there is, you know, there is that they are part of They become part of our family unit for those moments. And I think that can be really healing, um, for, for them. I think, I think for unmarried people, particularly people who have grown up in sort of purity culture within the church. Um, there's almost this like, almost a disembodiment of, of like they, because they're saying no, because they're trying to walk in purity, because they're denying their flesh, they can just almost forget that their flesh matters in a lot of ways. And we need to remind them that their flesh does matter. And we're thinking about the desires that they have. One of the stories that I share in the book early on is from John Piper. And he's talking about a woman who she would harm herself. Uh, so she would go to the hospital and this happened dozens of times. And he finally said, I just want to understand what's going on for you. Like, what are you thinking about when this is happening? I want to know how to care for you. And she said, I like it when they touch me. And he was brokenhearted because he just thought, I, I just don't, he, you know, he says, I made my prayer, God make me a good, healthy pastoral hugger. Um, because I, he was just devastated by the fact that this woman who was single and older, she was so desperate for touch that she was harming herself and being, you know, landing in the hospital. And, and I think we just need to be cognizant of the kind of self-harm that's happening. I'm not just talking about harm that lead, lands you in the hospital. I think there's other forms of self-harm. Um, forms of self-touch that are really 
pervasive in in singleness that can really just harm our brains and harm our bodies over a long period of time. Um, and so we just need to be cognizant of that and cognizant of how the, there's a hunger there that God put in in men and women that needs to be met. And I and I say need, you know, I think some people would say, well, it doesn't need to be met. I think it does need to be met. And I think God was the first one to say it wasn't good for man to be alone. And, you know, it's the first thing in creation that's not good, that man's alone. And so we need to enter into those spaces and be willing to engage our brothers and sisters in healthy, ministering, faithful touch. It's just one of the ways we need to enter into their their spaces. I really appreciate a lot of the stuff that you talked about, about singleness. In fact, I messaged one of my friends in the middle of reading the book and said, you need to read this book Mm -hmm. um, because I thought of her a lot throughout it. And I have a close single friend. She's actually been on the podcast about singleness and, you know, in her fifties, didn't set out to never be married, but just has never been asked. And, you know, she's very content and has many close friendships, but, uh, and one of, I've mentioned this before, but um, years ago when my husband and I found out there were singles in the church that were really struggling and we talked to them and I said, Sundays are really hard for us because we go back home and we're just sitting there alone. So we started inviting over the singles on Sunday afternoons just mm-hmm. so they didn't have to be, you know, sitting home alone in, in their loneliness. But I was thinking also, I have um, a couple of people close to me that in the last several years have gone through divorce, their spouses left them. Yeah. And one of the things, and you talk a little bit, you know, in the book about, you know, what your husband went through and, and whatnot. So when you have this relationship and maybe the marriage wasn't even good and stuff, but even when the marriage wasn't good in one of the situations, they still go through just a profound loneliness. And, and really that touch is missing too. I don't know that they've ever said that specifically, but I think in some things that they've said that that that's there. Um, can you think of other ways that we can help the singles in our churches? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, do you mean just in regard to touch or do you mean? Well, just, just yeah. I mean, well, your book is handled with care. So maybe, you know, well, partly touch, but also encompassing just caring yeah. for singles. And and that includes people that were married and are yeah. and now find themselves single. Yeah. I think one thing that's really important is to ask good questions I think so often we, because we bring our stories with us, we tend to assume that everyone else is sort of seeing the world through our eyes. Um, and I think it's so important for us to be good question askers. And so uh, one of the things I try to do with my unmarried friends who maybe don't have a spouse who's, you know, if they're unmarried, they don't have a spouse. Just they don't have someone who's asking them deep, probing, uh, helpful, revealing questions. You know, I ask, like, how's your heart doing? Hey, how's your, you know, how's your body doing? So right now, so an example would be, you know, if I have a friend who's struggling with anxiety um, through this this lockdown that we're in, um, one of the questions I'm going to ask is, where are you feeling that in your body? Um, just to help them just remember, oh, I'm a body and I need to care for my body. And that's going to help my anxiety in these, in these moments. Um, asking them, hey, where, what sort of, wells are you going to um to satiate uh needs and desires that you feel right now um is that leading you to um 
to empty wells and and the, and I let them define what those empty wells are. Like maybe it's things like pornography or self-touch or um, numbing or those kind of things, but I let them kind of name what those empty wells might be. So many times we just want, we want intimacy. We desire, it's not so much that we desire, you know, outside of marriage. When, if we desire marriage, it's not that we're like, Oh, I just want to have sex or I want to have kids, it's that we desire intimacy with someone. And so we can offer them them intimacy by asking intimate questions. Um, and I think that I, I wouldn't do that with someone who I didn't know, but I have no problem doing that with someone, both male and female. You know, my husband and I are pretty, I think, I hope we're pretty good at asking good questions um, of, of these people who we love and who are just as much a part of the family of God as we are. Um, and just as much in many ways, um, I think singleness, you know, so often marriage gets talked about in the church as if it's the picture of the gospel, like the picture of the gospel. Uh, and I think singleness actually is a better picture of uh, what being a Christian on earth right now in the already not yet looks like um, they're groaning for the culmination of something in the same way that we are only we who are married, we don't feel that maybe groaning quite as much as they do. And I think we need to look to them and we need to say, teach me how to, you know, groan well, teach me how to hunger well in a way that uh, I don't experience in the same way that you do as an unmarried person. That's powerful. I think it's just as important as looking at the mystery of, you know, marriage as the picture of the gospel. Yeah, as as part of that, you just mentioned intimacy. And uh, that's something I've thought about a lot. Because when you say intimacy, people automatically just think of, um, you know, marital intimacy. That's only mm-hmm. to be between a man and a wife. But friendships can be intimate and in our relationships. And understanding that not everything outside of what you've been told is then sexual, you know, because not every kind of touch is sexual. Not every kind of intimacy is, is sexual. And you talk about a close um, girlfriend of yours, female friends that you just have very comfortable, close relationship with. And I have a friend like that too. And it's a very non-sexual intimate friendship. Yeah. I think it's, it's important for us to have, well, first of all, I don't think intimacy is primarily sexual, and yet we, like you said, we have we've primarily given it a sexual sort of tone to it, um, and it really is just backing up and kind of relearning, rewiring our brains and the way that we think about intimacy um, and how I just think about the. It's really helpful for me to look at Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the intimacy with which he walked with his friends. Um, so. You know, a couple examples would be John laying against him at that at the final supper, um, Mary anointing his head for burial. Um, that's a very intimate thing when you think about it. Um, Mary coming and washing his feet, also a very intimate thing. Um, those are not things like I was thinking about this last week during Holy Week. I was thinking on Monday Thursday, you know, we would normally go to a Tendenbrae service. And I thought, well, how are we going to do this at home? And I thought, you know, we could wash each other's feet. And there was something in me. And this, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit this because the cover of my book is, is, you know, two people washing feet. Um, 
there was something in me that just thought, well, I don't want to wash my husband's feet. And I thought, what is that? And I thought, it's because it feels so intimate. It feels so vulnerable to do that. And yet, um, I wanted to pay attention to that. I wanted to pay attention to that thing in me that was resistant to, to practicing a non-sexual uh, intimate act with my husband in um, sort of remembrance of what last week was. And yeah, I, I think there's, it is complicated. It is complex. It's really difficult to think through and it's even more difficult to enact, but I think it is necessary. Um, and it's not something we should do quickly. It's not, this isn't a flippant thing. I think there's one of the reasons I don't give prescriptives in the book is because I really don't want people to go out and act right away. And I think in some ways the, the shelter in place that we're all in right now, you know, keeping six foot distance at first I was really lamenting the timing of the book coming out because of that. I just was like, Oh man, what lousy timing. But I think in some ways, just as fasting teaches us to rightly order the thing that we're fasting from, um, I think we're fasting from intimacy, from touch intimacy right now. And hopefully it will help us to rightly order touch when we come back together again. Yeah, you, you said, and, and I know this in the book too, that your book is not about a how-to. It's not a list of do's and don'ts in that yeah. way. But what do you want readers to come away from your book with? I love this question because I, I hope this answer surprises people. I, I really, it's not to make people huggers. It's not to make people touch people. That's really not the aim of my book. My hope is that people would have empathy for their own stories, um, that they would. So my final chapter is remember, remember. So remember that you have a body and then remember you're part of a body. So you are more than just you. And then remember um, you're more than a body. So we are, we are much more complex than just a body, but then also remember Christ's body. Um, remember his sacrifice on our behalf and remember how he made himself vulnerable on our behalf. And I think if we can remember those four things, um, my hope is that we will begin to handle people with care. We really appreciate you coming on. And then also I, I did want to just, I'm going to put a, a note in our group when we release this episode uh, too about this, but really think this book can be helpful for anyone, you know, male or female. One thing we, Rachel and I talk about is sometimes when a woman writes a book, yeah. People assume that book is just for women. No, this this great book for pastors, for lay people, both men and women. Um, it really is. And you wrote it with that in mind, correct? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, I, d- I did not want this to be a book for women. In fact, I <clears throat> I hope women read the book and I hope they're ministered to it. But I, my prayer is that men would read this book because uh, I, think, I think in particular um, in a lot of the circles we travel in, they set the tone for a lot of these interactions and um, yeah. And so I I just really want them to consider more deeply and theologically how their actions uh, weigh on the women around them and the women they're caring for. And I think that's a great point. I was thinking back to different churches that I've been a part of. And I think you're right. Sometimes even the, the pastor and the elders set the tone for how this plays out. I, I grew up in a, in a pretty great church and and there was a lot of just intimacy and we really were 
a family. It was a church my parents started with five or four other families. And um, I think that actually molded me a lot in mm. in many ways. But I also think uh, I thought of so many different people as I was reading it, thought a lot about people that grew up in purity culture that are really struggling with these yeah. things. So many, so many girls in our group that were um, sexually abused when they were younger yeah. or even older. This is just so help to help them think through these things because I mean you even talk about that but when you've been touched in a way that's not good it sometimes really influences how you feel about touch in general but really anyone I think this book is is um, helpful for there's there's Thank a lot so in much. it so we're gonna link the book in the episode notes and so definitely check it out if you're in the Facebook group if we can maybe get a discussion going about the book once several girls get it. So, well, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys.